In light of Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, we filmed a special episode of Cheery Conversations. Where in the past we attempt to give answers to questions, this episode addresses that there is no big answer to infant loss. It's something that we, along with our spouse and family, navigate through the ebb and flow of grief. We believe that true healing happens through community and by sharing our stories. We hope that this episode brings comfort to you and acknowledges that you are not alone. The conversations in this episode are healthy discussions that may not normally be brought to light, but God did not intend for us to carry these burdens on our own. So thanks ladies for coming to my house to talk about, uh, I would call it a serious conversation, but like a weekly or monthly conversation that we sometimes have with others or we hold back from having with others. And that's, uh, you're pregnant or I'm pregnant. And then knowing your audience, right? Knowing the girl you may be talking to, maybe your sister who is struggling to have a baby and you know, you're the one to say, I'm pregnant, but like, I don't want to make you sad. Mm. And so how do I feel happy when it could make you sad? And we've all been through our own scenario. And so I'm excited to, I wouldn't call it excited. I'm eager to bring this conversation out to anyone and everyone. Many people I think will share this with others. Um, I just had a conversation with someone who found out she was pregnant, but... After she knew she was pregnant, she was talking to them at the office, this person at the office, and this person was talking about how they're devastated because they're still, like, not able to have a child. They've been trying for years, and their sister just told the family that she was pregnant, Mm -hmm. and this girl was devastated. Now, my friend's having a conversation going, I was going to tell you now or next week, I'm pregnant. I'm just going to pour salt in that wound. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, my word, we're going to have a a cheery conversation soon at my house on this very topic. Uh, So, Megan, you had a pregnancy that... I mean, from what I know, was flawless, right? Yeah, like, it was and, very healthy. Yeah. yeah. So you also had friends around you, though, that didn't have the same right. journey. Yeah. So can you talk about what you encountered? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, even just um, recently, I was in a situation where somebody was sharing with me how long they've been trying to have a baby, and I kind of did the math, and like when she started trying to have a baby is when I got pregnant. So it was mm. weird to think, like, what I have now is my five-month-old, and what she has is nothing. Wow. And it really hit me, and so I was very careful. Um, I spent a lot of time with her, so I was careful to like almost not talk about um, my baby too much, mm-hmm. in a way, which is awkward, mm-hmm. um, because like of course everything when you're a new mom is oh baby this wonder about my baby look at my picture and so that's very challenging. But you know I I tried to just encourage her because I feel like. That has to be so hard, and I didn't have to experience that. And I was very, like, hyper aware of that Mm -hmm. Um, when I did get pregnant was, how do I share this news? How do I tell people? Mm -hmm. I don't want it to seem like I'm coming off flippant or, you know what I mean? Like, it's nothing because it was everything. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that, like, very deeply. So... Yeah, now looking back, I'm I'm extremely thankful that I had a healthy pregnancy, but you know, that was our first kid, so you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's always that factor and 
even with COVID, like it was the weird, <laughs> it was such a weird time. And you too, it was such a weird time to be, like be pregnant and have to go, be going in hospitals yeah. and stuff. So you always, there was always this unknown, mm-hmm. a big unknown. Because mm-hmm. you guys the, were pregnant at the same yeah, time, right? right? How right. far apart are your kids? One month almost. Yeah, really? Exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy. Which, what's interesting, yeah. and Stephanie, you need to share like the whole story. You not only were pregnant at the same time, but yeah. working side by side yeah. at the same, we were yeah. all on the same team. Mm-hmm. So yep. share a little of what happened. Yeah, and I had a totally different experience. So this was my third pregnancy. Yeah. So that, on top of everything else that uh, was going on with that pregnancy, which I'll get into, was kind of, um, I didn't want to steal her Mm-hmm. Thunder. It was yeah. her first baby, mm-hmm. and it was my yeah. third. So I felt like, of course, I'm excited and, um, you know, just over the moon that I'm pregnant. But I didn't want to wow. steal your moment because I remember being a yeah. first time mom. And um, so with my pregnancy with Silas, our third, um, you know, he had SUA, which is single umbilical artery. Um, meaning that he only had two arteries in his umbilical cord versus three. Um, And that came with a lot of challenges. Um, We had to be monitored a a ton more. There was a lot of risks um, involved that could have happened. Um, Thank God he's a healthy, beautiful little baby boy. I don't want to cry about it. (laughs) And you didn't know that at the time. I didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, There was so much fear. Every appointment, every ultrasound, um, it was like waiting for the shoe to drop because mm-hmm. you're told at that first um, appointment when they found it, you know, these are all of the things that can go wrong with your mm-hmm. baby. So we're going to watch you just to make sure that doesn't happen or that we can um, intervene if yeah. if we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, can we backtrack a little bit? Too? Yeah. Just because I feel like we were talking about this earlier, that part of the reason that it was even more fearful is because it was so it was such a happy moment when you got pregnant with Silas because of the struggle to get pregnant in the past and then with with Silas it was like it just happened it happened yeah we weren't planning yeah yeah with the other two it took um with Ben it took a year and with Joe, it took almost two years to get pregnant. Yeah. So and then Silas was like, ah! It was like, oh my gosh, we're yeah. pregnant. Oh, <laughs> yeah. this is... And so it took me a while to even accept the fact that I was pregnant because mm-hmm. in the other two pregnancies, I had this buildup of like taking a test every month yeah. and it was negative. Mm-hmm. And so um, with Silas, I felt like this can't be real. I, I'm like really pregnant right now. And then it, that joy kind of got sucked out when we found um, what was going on with him, mm-hmm. but... And I think that there's a lot of women who can relate to the moment that the wind is literally kicked out of yours. I mean, like, you feel like you go to devastation in a matter of one minute yeah. of everything's fine, and now this is what he has. And one of the things they prepared you for was he wouldn't grow and he wouldn't live, like he wouldn't survive the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So of course, when we hear all of the options and one is death, devastation. And then you're working alongside Megan and we're praying for you. And did it bring any fear on you? Totally. I mean, it's like, okay, so what if they're missing something or what if they don't know? What if, you know, and you're always so conscious of them like moving and if they don't move for an hour and a half you're like do I need to go in and so that that is extremely 
scary. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to navigate in the sense that you don't want to offend somebody by like having a healthy pregnancy. Mm. You know what I mean? Wow. And so yeah. you put that on yourself that like, yeah. I don't deserve to have a healthy Gosh, baby. Wow. That's kind of how it feels. And so I definitely had to stop myself when I thought that several times and say, no, God, God intends for you to have a healthy pregnancy. Yes. Totally 100%. Yes. So if you can, you just have to be happy with that. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't you say that you wouldn't expect someone with a healthy pregnancy to tear up and to say, I right. felt guilty. Right. Yeah. Or to feel bad. So much like, guilt. I, the enemy, the enemy, when he was cursed in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. he was told that the seed would crush his head. And I believe, and I don't have to just think this, it's in the Bible that he made an effort to go after the seed of the woman for the rest of eternity. Well, not eternity, but the rest of this time on earth. And so no wonder barrenness. um, We'll talk about you guys' experience. And even the joy of pregnancy, he's trying to destroy that, to trample on it. And so Satan is telling you, your baby's gonna die. You will not complete the pregnancy. And the enemy's telling you, you don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. You should feel bad. Yeah. Okay, so Nancy, you yeah. you went through, I mean, the ultimate, like, this really just happened mm-hmm. in my arms. Will you tell yours? Yeah, and I feel like, you know, with what you were saying about the ultrasound appointments, you know, because then I have my own experience from 10 years ago mm-hmm. that now having these different situations come up is like, what? where am I at with the healing of that experience too? Because... Um, yeah, 10 years ago at our 18-week appointment, it was a gender ultrasound. We had a three-year-old little girl, perfect pregnancy, no issues um, with her. But then at our 18-week appointment, um, it was the gender. And we're like, oh, we're going to have a big party and like announce what the gender is. And they said um, she just wasn't growing right. She had a skeletal dysplasia. So her chest cavity was too small for her to have any lungs develop. Um, so the diagnosis, kind of not the same, but feels the same, was one-third that she would pass away in the womb, uh, one-third that we would preterm deliver, and one-third that she would be born and die after an hour. So that's what happened. Hmm. Did you have her at full term? Um, so we had a weekly appointment to make sure her heart was still beating because if it wasn't, they would need to do something and intervene. Um, but her heart was beating until the 34 week appointment. And then we had an ultrasound and they said that that was, it was so awful. The word was demise. So like, it's a word that I hate now because he said, um, her demise will come soon. So if you, you can either deliver now or wait for her to pass. And we wanted her to have a heartbeat. We wanted, like she was a life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, her name was Layla and Layla Faith because for 34 weeks we had faith that, you know, even um, we believed that God could change the situation. Uh, we believed that he would do it for us. And even if he didn't, we said we wouldn't, we wouldn't bend or break. Mm-hmm. So Because I'm sure they recommended that you what do they call it? And the pregnancy? Yeah, yeah. at every, every appointment, um, even though her heart was beating up until 26 weeks, they asked, asked if we wanted to end the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then after 26 weeks, we had a um, NICU appointment 
with the neonatal unit and um, determined that if she was born with a heartbeat, we would just do comfort measures only. And I have a, I have a picture of my notes from that appointment. I would always bring somebody with um, to take notes because I knew that I couldn't, mm. I knew that I wouldn't be able to remember what was going on and I needed somebody to write down the, the details. Mm. And I had written CMO, which meant comfort measures only. And then underneath it, I said, unless she's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And I look back at that now and I'm like, how silly that I thought that things could change. But no, like no. I, I knew then and I know now that it could have been different. But I'm also seeing, I mean, it's been 10 years and this is a conversation that is because of her. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you had two kids after that? Yes, two and healthy they're kids. healthy. Yeah. That's always yeah. helpful, right? It is so helpful. Yeah. And I and I think that often because if that would have happened with our first, it would have been so hard to to want to move forward yeah. and have another one. But having having Stephanie go through these ultrasounds so often um, reminded me that I had to go to the same place you know, every week to see if my baby's heart was beating. And um, it was hard to not project my, like, my tainted perspective, really. Like, anytime I see somebody having a gender birth, a gender party, I think, oh, don't do it because, wow. because it might not go well. And then you're going to have to cancel the party. But that was, that's what happened to me. That doesn't mean that's going to happen, mm -hmm. you know, but to have that perspective of and not want not being a voice of what my experience was but a voice of what God's truth is which is that he can heal Silas you know like yeah. that was what I had to focus on mm -hmm. um sharing and supporting versus like oh yeah those appointments are really doom and gloom and mm -hmm. <laughs> like they're the worst yeah. you know even though that's how I felt about them but we were able to go to an ultrasound together and it was really really cool mm -hmm. it was really cool for us to be I able think to it is that else. learning to not put on other people what you felt yes because everybody's individual, but at the same time, not just shutting down like my story doesn't matter because yeah. mm -hmm. I've had people who have said I didn't know so many people miscarried or I didn't know so many people went yeah. through infertility. I wish I would have known when we got married. And there's good and bad in that. Like you don't really want to know every horror story out there about right. what can happen, but you also don't want people to just feel alone. Like I thought I'd just get married, have kids, you know, have to say we better quit having kids. Like we better stop at three or four. Instead, people are struggling to have one. Mm -hmm. So it it is, I believe that's why as Jesus girls, we have to discern how much do I talk now? How little do I like discern the amount to share? And I'm going to share how mine's similar to yours yes. that we knew the yeah. whole pregnancy um, with Savannah, but you didn't know ahead of time, mm -mm. your story. So share that. No. Um, so we had, we've had um, one really great pregnancy, which was our first. And then we had um, a, a miscarriage mm -hmm. and then we got pregnant again. And we found out pretty early on that it was twins. So that was exciting and mm -hmm. frightening all <laughs> in one. But, um, and so we were, we were high risk pregnancy mm -hmm from the start of that because we had miscarried because of my age, because of um, carrying twins. And so um, so there was some a little bit of fear in all of that. Um, not knowing if one of the babies was going to survive the pregnancy was also 
in effect because the baby didn't have a heartbeat right away. Hmm. But it kicked in. It was probably Riley. She's a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we had weekly appointments, monitoring, yeah. uh, making sure everything was going good. The pregnancy was going very smooth. They did ask us if we wanted to get genetics testing, and we said no because we knew right away, like, we weren't going to, it wasn't going to change mm-hmm. our mind on whether or not we were going to love the baby or babies. It wasn't going to change how we were going to, you know, um, what we were going to do throughout the pregnancy, mm-hmm. what nothing was going to change. So um, we didn't find out until we delivered the twins that our son, Logan, was born with Down syndrome. So that was a um, pretty big shocker. But I think in the beginning, because of the um, new, mo- new mom, like, I don't know, what it, what would you call it? Like, like just bliss? Being, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> That when uh, my husband came and said, something's not right, he doesn't look right. This was right after he was born? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. He doesn't look right. We were in recovery because I, I had a C-section. Um, but he doesn't look like look right. They're going to bring somebody down to look at him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's fine. He's going to be fine. Is no he alive go. was your oh, yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Does he have 10 fingers? Does he have 10 toes? It's going to be fine. And he was like... I don't know. It's, it's not right. And um, sure enough, they did all of the visual testing and determined that he had trisomy 21 or has trisomy 21. And so even still for a really long time as they were coming in to talk to us, they would always have this um, kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is. Mm-hmm. They would come in like they were giving us bad news. Mm-hmm. And every time they would come in, our response was like, Okay, well, mm-hmm. what are we gonna do? That's good. Okay, we're gonna do whatever we can to make sure that he has everything he needs. It's gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of like they would all kind of give us this look like, are you sure you're okay? Is everything all right? Mm-hmm. Yep, we're good. We're gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, he has trisomy 21 and he's alive and he um, is healthy and. He tall, doesn't a basketball have, player. He's, he, yeah, he's getting really tall. Yeah, but I mean, it, Down syndrome comes with its challenges, of course, but um, the most important thing for me for a long time was that with Down syndrome, with trisomy 21, um, well, there's different levels of Down syndrome, so he has the best one that you could get. Um, he doesn't have heart Issues. He's no holes in his heart. He has no intestinal problems. He's none of the other um, medical issues that a lot of times kids with Down syndrome get. Mm-hmm. And so we were really, really blessed because of that. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, we still have our challenges with mm-hmm. him, you know. It reminds me of something that um, I've told to people who get a bad report from the doctor and when they're pregnant. And I remember it was on our fifth child, but our second child on earth, our Mm -hmm. daughter, Aubrey, that pregnancy was going great. And it was after a lot of things we had gone through. And I remember going into the doctor and we were so clear and so like green light on Aubrey on that pregnancy. We knew we were having a girl. It was even in the twenties weeks gestation. And, uh, I, so I think Sean, he was on the road traveling full time as an evangelist. And so I was just, I was still high risk pregnancy, but I would go into the doctor and everything was always 
fine. So he didn't go with me. I'd schedule it when he was gone. And I go into the doctor and uh, she's doing, and she goes, you have a lot of fluid, a lot, you know, because anytime there's extra fluid in the amniosac, that is a signal. And that's what happened with Savannah, our daughter that didn't survive, is I had to go and get like two milk jugs drained with an amnio needle when I was like eight months pregnant with with Savannah and then nine months pregnant to drain the fluid because your body responds by, I think it's an extra protection around a baby that is not good. I don't know if you retained extra water. That's amazing. You did. Mm And so I had had that drain. So when they said, I mean, all they had to say is, you're, you're retaining or you have a lot of extra fluid. Mm-hmm. I knew, you know, once you get good at this, like you get good and you get seasoned mm-hmm. in miscarriage and preterm birth and losing a baby, I knew what that meant. And I, she said, I'm going to send you to a level two ultrasound at the hospital. And uh, I think I waited to call Sean and tell him, but when I did, he needed, like, he just immediately had cognitive dissonance. He was like, I don't know what you want me to do. And I, and I was like, he was like, wanted to shut down and also wanted to just deny it. Because honestly, I think he thought once we had Isaiah and he was fine, why are we trying again? Like, why would we do this to ourselves, right? Pregnancy to him meant, a, you know, a, a nine months of, of, worry and torture. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, I, you know, they said they might be, I didn't even tell him I was going to go to the hospital for it because I could tell he wasn't at a place. He was okay. He was still so devastated from losing Savannah. So I did go to the doctor, but I waited and skipped my first appointment. And I went three weeks after I was supposed to, because I felt God say to me when I prayed, I have Kleenex because I'm going to cry now. Um, do not believe the report of the doctor. Well, I mean, everything was clearly in front of my face as the doctors. It, it made no sense. It made no sense to, to believe for a miracle because it was black and white in my face. I felt God say, do not believe the report of the doctor. Re- believe the report of the Lord. And I remember in the car saying, God, I can't. I can't. I've already walked this out. It continues to be a bad thing. And he told me, not audibly, but I felt this, don't go to the doctor until you can believe the report of the Lord. So I was a no-show for my first appointment that next week. Three weeks later, I finally, they called and they're like, we rescheduled you. I went in for level two and I, um, alone, because I just was like, Sean can't handle it. And we're, we're, we don't do anything apart. So that was strange. Went into the room and the tech came in and said, okay, I see your file. Why are you here? And I said, I just felt God say, you don't need to speak death in this. You need to speak life into this. And so I said, I'm not sure. She goes, okay, well, we'll just do it. And so she does the level two ultrasound in this super dark room. And she's like, okay. And she's measuring. I mean, you guys have been through that, the measuring of the femur, the measuring of the skull, the measuring of the lungs and the heart. And and she does all the measurements. And then she's measuring. I see her measuring the fluid in the amniosac. And then she looks at me. She goes, you don't know why they sent you? I said, no. And she goes, I don't understand why they sent you. She said, everything looks fine. Wow. And she never did find out why I met a lot. And I just, I went home and I told Sean, I'm like, well, I did go to the, and there's nothing wrong. And Aubrey mm. was completely fine. Uh, Actually, though, when she was four, we were. She wanted to become a runner, a jogger. So, like, she wanted to jog around neighborhoods at four. Like, she was. That was her new sport. And her heart. She like 
held her heart a couple times when she would run too fast. And um, I did take her in here in Green Bay and when she was a little older and they said she has some little tiny holes in her heart, but they'll probably close. Well, she's 16. She now works out. I believe that maybe there was a little thing, there was a little fluid, but did God heal it? Or was it the report of the Lord that this isn't a reason to flip out? The report of the Lord says, you're going to be fine. Like, yes, the doctors are like, are you okay? And you're like, we're going to be fine. Uh, But the report of the Lord, like when you want to believe for a miracle and you're like, why did I believe for that? Because sometimes that's all we have. And isn't it better to live in hope Mm -hmm. than to just live in fear? Uh, And so I know, Stephanie, we prayed with you because you were living in in fear. Were you worried about what that would do to Silas? Yes, I was at the beginning when we first were diagnosed, I was so fearful. I thought, well, I didn't want to get his nursery ready. I waited. Mm -hmm. Um, With the other two, um, I mean, the day I found out I was pregnant, I had the crib up, I had everything. And with with Silas, I waited until, gosh, it was almost 30 weeks that I had everything set up. And even when he was born, I didn't have all the things I needed because I I wasn't preparing like I normally would have. But kind of like what you said, what I learned through the pregnancy was um, at first when I was going through all of the ultrasounds and all of the appointments, I was walking in with the attitude and with the spirit of um, something's going to happen and then I'm going to say, I told you so. Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to protect this part of me. so then when I say I told you so, I'm not as badly wounded. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end, it started to shift for me, and, and my faith really started to grow. Um, and it turned into uh, all the little things, all of the little things that I'm now calling miracles for him. I can say, I told you so. I mm-hmm. knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was such a shift for me. And I credit that to having women around me that helped build me up and helped pray for me and helped pray for Silas. And of course, to my husband, because throughout the whole thing, I had to like shake him and say like, why aren't you scared? <laughs> aren't you freaking out? <laughs> why aren't you freaking out? And he was just so, he's going to be fine. Mm. And um, it was a real lesson for me. Mm-hmm. Did you find that after, because you said you had a miscarriage before Savannah? Mm-hmm. And, and a preterm birth. Okay. And what happened specifically with Savannah? Because you carried to term with her? Yeah, but okay. we were told to terminate. The, they used the word, okay. used demise yeah. is your yeah. trigger word now. Yeah. Terminate was what was used. Mm-hmm. We went in for seven at 17 weeks. I was high risk because I'd had a miscarriage. And uh, I, I went in and at 17 weeks they said, her femurs, that's your long leg, it, that's yeah. what they measure to know, is the baby growing and how far along are you? And they said they're short, and they also noticed a curvature mm-hmm. to her bones. And so they said she might have brittle bone disease. She might be, like, breaking her bones within the womb. They re-heal curved. Oh, they're short. She might have a dwarfism. That um, was what Layla was. They, really, couldn't, they could barely even measure her femur because her bones were so short. Yeah, so basically to them, and and I'm not 
villainizing all doctors, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've all had ones that had faith or helped us. But like you said, there's also, I I believe they must be trained. Like you've got to prepare people because what if they later say, you told me everything would be fine. There must be something to that. Mm -hmm. But I I do know that immediately it was, do you want to terminate the pregnancy? Mm -hmm. And every appointment thereafter, Mm -hmm. it was, you can terminate this um, because, but she was alive, her heart, everything else, it was just growing slow. And uh, every appointment, it was, oh, her her heart is not bell-shaped, or her ribs were bell-shaped, so her heart's growing fine now, but now her kidneys are this. Or And so every time we would get a little, like a little progress, and then we'd get something taken away. You know, now this isn't good. And uh, I remember rocking in my kitchen one night, and I'm a pretty stable, solid, optimistic person. And I remember just rocking. Just 17 weeks to, it was, she was 39 weeks when we did a C-section. And they did a C-section because they said, you seem like you want her to survive. I mean, literally they said that. It seems as though you want her to survive. So if you're wanting her to survive, the best chance is she doesn't go through the birth canal. So we had a scheduled C-section, which felt like a walk of doom down the hallway to get prepped. And um, so from 17 to 39, it was terminate, or it was, she's probably not going to make it much longer. So we did believe for a miracle. And, and I will say this to women who are waiting on the miracle, or like, do I, like, like you guys talked, was I naive or dumb to mm-hmm. pray for a miracle? You're like, Bo, like be fearful. Like, well, you got to worry with me. And I would say none of the worry or rocking in my kitchen going, I'm going to lose my mind. I can't do this. None of that helped. The hope, even if it wouldn't have ended in a miracle, would have been what I had to lean into because only hope is going to get you through that. So we I think that's why we got to 39 weeks and we both survived. Um, and I remember it was a win when they came to us and said, I, I never heard her cry, but they said she's alive, but she's on a lot of tubes. And Sean saw her and breathing tubes, feeding tubes, all the tubes, they were keeping her alive. I mean, other than, you know, she was obviously staying alive on her own because that, you know, that's how it has to be. Um, but to me, it was a win. She survived a, a pregnancy because that wasn't that wasn't what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- we had two kids that survived after that, and I think that that's important also for us to talk about. Is where does that fall in the line of having children? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people walk up to me and say, "Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. I lost my child at twelve, but at least I knew them." And I look at them and I go. <sighs> At least I never saw Savannah's eyes. I saw her wince. I saw her frown, but she never made a noise. She had a breathing tube. She she never made a noise, and she never opened her eyes. And I have found solace in. I never saw her eyes. I never heard her voice. Um, It's amazing how people will, when they're good, Jesus, hopeful people, they'll go, but at least I got 12 years. And to me, I go, at least I didn't see her eyes or hear hear her voice. But then also the placement of when you lose that child, right? Like when it's your first and you go, I may never, that was our thing. We were told, don't try anymore. You're genetically incompatible. And 
that was right after and during Savannah. So we just thought we may never. And so we had to then live in that next promise for people who, you know, I know some some ladies who they've had children, but then their last one they lose. And then the next one they lose. And they felt like they had a promise that they were supposed to have more children. And so they're like, they question, am I selfish for stopping? Do I not have enough faith because I've had healthy and now I quit? Like, the enemy will go against every single individual situation, yeah. but that's where we have to fight that with with this hope or this hope that um, if I am finished and I'm not going to have kids anymore, and I thought I was going to have five, but I have two, like my kids talk about meeting Savannah and Tyler in heaven. They don't, and Tristan, like they don't skim over the fact that they're, they got an appointment. Yeah, my kids are the happen. same way. We had... Kylie was three when we had Layla 10 years ago, and then we had Zoe and Finley, healthy pregnancies, mm-hmm. and then we were pregnant again after that um, when Finley was four, I think-ish, yeah, four. Um, and then we miscarried at mm-hmm. about 10 weeks, and we named the baby Teddy, and mm-hmm. my kids, like even now, they talk about Teddy and Layla, like it's mm-hmm. they're part of our family, mm-hmm. and I think some people probably think that's really strange. But like for you, even with Aubrey and Isaiah, to know the kids' names, like it matters and that was life. And I think that that's really important too, you know, is like people go through miscarriages and I think sometimes it's like sweep it under the rug. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. Let's not talk about it because Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable and nobody knows what to say and Mm -hmm. it's easier just to not talk about. But um, I think it's important to have that conversation because it's still something that you go through. And like what we've always talked about and like as a staff and as friends, like we're always talking about how we're healing from the things that we've had to process and go through and traumas and, you know, the word demise, like that's a trigger word for me. The word terminate is a word for you. Like I'm sure there's things for all of us that we're like, oh, I don't really want to talk about my miscarriage Mm -hmm. because it's going to make them feel like they shouldn't be happy that they're pregnant. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit is the perspective of the friend who has a friend who is or had a miscarriage or went through that. And because what was the time? I'm trying to think of what the timing was like. I I don't remember exactly, but it was, it was, there was not enough time in between when Nancy lost Teddy and then when I found out I was pregnant with Silas um, and this was before I knew that there was anything going on with the pregnancy, um, that I felt so guilty mm-hmm. that I was pregnant and that it just happened and it was like such a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I felt so guilty having conversations with Nancy about it and being excited about it because I knew that she was still hurting. Mm-hmm. And I think um, because we are so close, we did get to a place where I could push her a little bit. And it was, do you remember the car ride to Milwaukee? Mm. Oh, yeah. I think we both cried the entire way yeah. because she just kind of shut down. Because I didn't want to talk about she it. She didn't want to talk about it. And I was like, we have yeah. to talk about this. Mm. Like, you're, we're not through it yet. Well, we were talking about something that I had a perspective, like a different oh, yeah. perspective on, and I don't remember what it was. It was something about, and I don't know if you guys feel this way too, like having lost having lost a baby or even like we, I wanted to talk about grief mm-hmm. with you too, but just uh, the, the thoughts of, oh, I don't want to be up with my baby six oh. times a night. And I sit here thinking, I do. Like, mm-hmm. I remember, I remember after losing Layla, like that's all I wanted mm-hmm. was to be up 
mm. every hour of every night, mm -hmm. you know, nursing a baby or rocking or making a bottle. And so I think that was where we were on a car ride and somebody was like, oh, I just don't want to have to be up all night. And I'm like, oh, I don't have anything to say to you mm -hmm. because I just don't, I don't agree with that. Because yeah. because my perspective is call it tainted or different or whatever it, it might be like, oh, that, and then to, to say, I didn't have anything nice to say, so I didn't want to See, say anything. I, I watched her just physically shut down yeah. as that conversation was taking mm -hmm. place. Yeah. And then I was like, no, 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 no. Called it out. Don't yeah. you think but. people want answers to that? Kind of like, yeah. okay, what is the, like, do I need to feel guilty? No. Do I need no. to never talk about my child? No. Do I need to be self-aware to not be like, ugh, Yes. If I got pregnant right now, I'd just be like, Ugh. right? Like you just have to. It's almost like this, this self awareness mm -hmm. and yep. this like right. pregnancy and bearing children awareness that women need to have. But don't let, I mean, the enemy always wants to move the pendulum to the opposite mm -hmm. side, which is, okay, don't even celebrate. Mm -hmm. Don't even post a gender reveal because think of all my hurting friends or all. No, but like you said, for you, there's certain things like I, I can't hear somebody say, oh yeah, we had a fifth, but my gosh, or we had a sixth and we just, we should seriously should do something about it. Like it just happens, you know, or complain about all their children. I, I always have had an issue with Walmart, which I have been very good about stopping my <laughs> issue with Walmart. Anybody who's watched Cheery or been at Life Church is like, Sunny has reformed her, her Walmart speaking <laughs> about Walmart for the last two years, but now I'm going to pull it back up. But there's actually a reason I would just, hate on Walmart. But then when I really got to the, you know, you go through journey to wholeness and you go, oh, I knew this, but it's really deep. Uh, I, I mean, if you looked at Sean and I's checkbook back in the days of us having all of these children, Walmart was where the checks were for everything. I was there probably every other day buying something. And so Walmart always there. And there was a point where I couldn't take any more seeing women with dirty children crying, snot running down their face, them getting yelled at. And I know this happens at other places other than Walmart. It's where I was, but I'd see women in wheelchairs or the cart with kids that they were yelling at, grab me that off the shelf. And there was so much just dysfunction that I witnessed. And I'm like, I just want one. Can I have one? Can I take one of yours? I'll give them a bath and I'll wipe their nose and I'll, t like, that's the point that I had gotten to. And so I think you learn, okay, where are the trigger points and where do I need to know that could be a trigger or a trauma to say that publicly or around someone when I'm complaining about my dumb kid? Like, because I will say, I've seen you with Silas and he's your miracle baby. And there is something, and I've told some women this, that they're, they've gone through hard times getting babies. I'm like, there is such a blessing in it. I wouldn't be half the mom I am, which I probably wouldn't have been great at all because I'm not a fabulous mom, I'm, but I am a far better mom to Isaiah and Aubrey than I would have been if it had just been, oh, oops, yeah. like that happened. We, they are our miracle babies. And I look at them, and for years I think, you're you're healthy. Like you're on earth. And I even dedicated my, my Jesus plus life book to everybody else needs to cry more because I'm crying <laughs> plenty for all of us. Every time I talk to Aubrey, the daughter I get to have on earth. Yeah. And to me, Aubrey is, is an answer to prayer. And I think that sometimes we, 
we don't realize what a blessing it is to look at a child that wasn't easy to get here and realize we're living in a we're living in actually a really cool place that some moms don't get to. Yes, we went through the hurt, but some moms will never know what they have at the same level we do, right? Um, I want to ask you, Shelby, <laughs> because I want you to talk more, but also, um, what have what have you gone through having a child that, you know, like our babies, they weren't healthy, they didn't survive. Mm-hmm. Your your baby survived. Right. But now you've had challenges. Yeah. So our our um our our challenges have more recently started as he's gotten older. So the baby, the baby Logan was great. He was super easy. He was a baby just like any other baby. It wasn't until, for me at least, until we started seeing Riley hit her milestones and him not. And so that's when everything kind of started to shift and us kind of start going, okay, this is going to be, this, there's going to be some change now. There's going to be some challenges now. There's going to be some things we're going to have to shift in how we parent him versus, you know, obviously you parent each child different anyways because they're all different kids. But even the fact that he's not, they're twins, but they're not on the same mm. level with each other. So he's now, um, they're, they're turning seven in a couple of weeks, um, and Riley is going into second grade, but he is going into, he he would, well, he's going to Sybil Hop, which we're super excited about. It's going to be really great for him. But um, he is not at a second grade educational level or even mental level. He's probably more on a... Um, four-year-old, five-year-old level, if that. He doesn't read. He doesn't write. He's nonverbal. He has some words that he says, and he's still in a diaper. He's still not potty trained. So um, I would say our challenges right now are, one, trying to explain to our old, our girls, like, why doesn't he, why doesn't he get in trouble for this? Mm. Well, it's not fair. We hear that a lot. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. And it, I, my response a lot of times, and I don't know if this is good or not, but my response is, you're right, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. It's not fair that he doesn't know how to communicate with us, that he can't get the words out to tell us how he feels. It's not fair that he can't put together the thought and the feeling of, I have to go to the bathroom. I probably should go to the toilet. It's not fair for him that he doesn't get to go on to school with his sister, to play with other second graders, to learn on the same scale that they do. It's not fair that he's not... (laughs) That he's probably not going to hold a career like his sisters are, or that he might have to... um, live with us for the rest of his life and not have as much independence as you would want your child to have to see them succeed. But um, he's going to succeed in a lot of other ways, and we get to have joy in that. Um, But right now our challenge is kind of um, grieving on a regular basis. That's what I was just going to say is that I feel like when you refer to someone who maybe lost their 12-year-old and it feels like that would be so much worse. And then you think about how you had to grieve 
your own loss. I mean, for Shelby, it's a it's a continuous yeah. process of grieving the loss of different situations that come up. Right, of dreams mm-hmm. Yeah, that you think, like, you know, mm-hmm. my son is going to do this when he's older, but mm-hmm. he may not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the hopes and the dreams that you have when you're pregnant with your child, um, especially because we didn't know that he was going to have Down syndrome, mm-hmm. and then finding out and later coming to the realization that, oh, he's actually not going to be able to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, so grieving mm-hmm. regularly, the ups and downs, and the, tr- and the constant trusting in God that, you know, he knew what he was doing when he gave us Logan. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a surprise to him, and so the, there's a reason, and we get the opportunity to um, just show as much joy as we can through what he can do. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because James 1.1 says, count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations. That it's not just like a bad day or a bad month, but like this is a trial and tribulation and being able to acknowledge that, then be able to grieve it. It says because the testing of our faith creates endurance or maturity. So I also think that the silver lining or the beauty for ashes in all of this is that we all become better people. Like I talked about, I'm a better mom. Sean's a better dad. You're a better mom. You're a better dad. You're, you're better as a human. Like there is just such a, it's like sandpaper. I always think of that verse. Like it's like sandpaper that rubs off the rough edges, the sharp edges, the, the things that other people don't have the ability to get over and become better because they didn't have quite that journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, Granted, what I love is that our we don't end with this life. Like Logan yeah. will be in heaven and you'll see him in his perfect body, perfect mind. And all of us that are not special needs are going to be in a perfect body, in a perfect mind. And we're going to yeah. be like, wow, that's better than what I had on earth. If you're hurting and would like a safe community to start your healing journey with, we recommend Journey to Wholeness. Visit j2wholeness.org. Thank you.